Thank you for pulling into the Hope Station. I am your host, Diane Bells. The Hope Station is a place to hear amazing interviews, great transformational stories, and learn about the power of faith and hope to change your life. A podcast that proves living purposefully is possible. Are you ready for your own transformational story? Do you want to turn a new chapter in your life or career? There's hope. Schedule a free consult call with me to stop feeling hopeless and gain the hope you need to have the life you deserve. Information of how to schedule that appointment is in the show notes. You can also connect with me through my website, Diane Bells, uh, D-I-A-N-E-B-E-L-Z.com. Are you ready for another great interview? Hello and welcome to the Hope Station podcast. I am your host, Diane Bells. And today my guest is Allison Jones, who I had the pleasure to meet and talk to. And she had revealed to me that she had some tragedies within her family um, resulting from drug addiction. So Allison is a health and wellness coach. She has founded a, a company called Wellness Society, where she helps female entrepreneurs and executives live a vibrant, healthy, and purposeful living from the inside out. I just love that whole title. I love that feeling. So, Allison, thanks for joining today. And I know we had this discussion a while ago, but I'm curious, just with the whole topic of addiction, and I feel we're all wired for addiction. We just choose different things that we're going to grab onto. And I was uh, been confessing, I'll say, my overspending addiction as a way just to make me feel better. And uh, sometimes you can feel, well, that's not as painful as, you know, dealing with drug addictions, but it can be the start of something. So that's why I'm curious a little bit about your story. So you want to share this tragedy that you experienced within your family? Sure. And actually, and you and I haven't had a chance to chat about this yet, but you know, I had seen what you had written about your own overspending addiction. And it just really hit me because even in the past week, I was thinking about that. And I actually texted a friend the other day and said, I need to tell you, I think I have a little problem. I said, I have not been spending money and it's felt great. I'm really trying to be very good about that, especially now that I've started my own business. But then the urge struck within the past week. And I ordered some things that I really didn't need that I just wanted. And I realized that it was this fix. I just wanted that fix. I wanted that escape, that relief from the package arriving in the mail. And it was just some, some clothes. And of course, my friend said, well, I think that that's a, a pretty healthy, <laughs> pretty healthy way of getting your fix. But when I saw your what you wrote about that as in the form of addiction, it really hit me because I thought, this is a form of addiction. This is me looking to something to provide me, you know, what I'm looking for rather than finding it somewhere else. So it really was interesting that you, you, you put that out there right at a time where I had been wrestling with it. So, but yeah, so if you would like me to talk a little bit about my, my story and it does relate to addiction. And I think that, that, that realization for me of, of my own addiction to sometimes just wanting that quick fix with the purchase helps me really understand some of um, my family history and sort of some of what um, people in my family have gone through. So um, the the short 
version, I guess you could say, is I was one of four girls. My parents had four daughters, and I was number three in line. Um, my oldest sister is still living. And then I had a sister who was two years older than me. I adored her. I looked up to her. She was my rock. Um, we actually were grown, we, we were raised in the church and we were very involved in the church. We went every Sunday, um, from the time that I can remember, we went Sunday nights, we went to youth group Wednesday nights. And when I say youth group, I mean, we really studied the Bible. We didn't just, you know, play games. We were really, really studying the Bible and, and getting to know God. And it was, it was wonderful. We had all sorts of youth group trips. We were so grounded in all of that. And my friends were mostly from the church. My closest friends were mostly from the church. And my sister, who was two years older than me, was very spiritually sound. Like I said, she was my rock and, and I looked up to her so much. She ended up um, going through a, a very painful experience in her life and started to get into some trouble. And she started to to smoke and then drink. And then one one thing led to another. And, and to make a long story a little bit shorter, she did end up with a full-blown drug addiction. And she struggled with that from the time she was maybe, I would say, 20 um, until just before her 50th birthday. When she was 49, she ended up passing away. Um, her body just completely gave out. And that was in 2016. Wow. Yeah. So very, and, and those years were dark, honestly, watching someone you love, mm -hmm. um, go through that and go from being beautiful and vibrant and healthy and, and a leader and to watch them, you know, just, just almost become a shell of a person and with very little self-respect and and all, all of the harm that is in the path, in the wake of addiction. It's a cancer that spreads throughout a family. It was devastating. And to make matters worse, um, my younger sister, who was five years younger than I was, she ended up on the same path um, from an even younger age. And um, she ended up also heavily into drugs with a drug addiction, including heroin. And at the age of 29, um, she ended her life. And we're not 100% sure that it was intentional. Um, it was an overdose. Um, and we all of the circumstances seemed to point to the fact that she took her own life via this, this intentional overdose. Um, but either way, um, it was it was just completely traumatic and everything that she went through was painful for my family, particularly, I would say, for my parents and for me just being terrified watching them, watching them go through it, watching my parents go through it and trying to help both of my sisters and just not being able to. So that's kind of the the shorter mm. version of of kind of what we went through. That is just I. The parts that are interesting is number one, when we don't even know what that trip could be. We'll just say something happened, a trigger, a trip that all of a sudden your, your older sister, especially when you talk about her, she was the rock, she was a leader and something happened that it yeah. just fell. And this is the scary part is that we don't know if we're going to be susceptible to that. And, you know, it, it's always scared me, you know, the, the use of drugs. Like, I don't even want to use, I'm trying to work myself off a high blood pressure medicine. 
Uh, I've always been afraid of it. And I think there were, there were two things that scared me. Number one is watching my grandmother who lived with us was on a series, they'd give her one prescription and then she'd have to take another prescription and then another prescription. And it seemed to like be this building process. And this is, I would just watch her just almost say, well, I, I need something for this. And then, you know, a problem would arise. So I'm just going to use it constipation. <laughs> just be the, the truth of, of granny's story. And then yeah. she would get constipated and then she'd have to take something else to make sure her bowels would move. And it would be this cycle of I'm taking this and then I'm taking this. So it was prescription drugs that caused adverse impact. And then she'd have to use these others. And it was this craziness. And I worked in, in the pharmacy that she used. So I would just look at this bag of pills that I'd have to buy her all the time. And I'm like, this is, this is crazy. Like one thing she needed, and then she needed all these other things because of this use of, of whatever these pharmaceuticals were and working in the, the pharmacy, I watched people come in desperate for, you know, their, their coughs here with codeine or their Valium or their sleeping medicine and I, I had access to all of these drugs because I was the one who stocked the shelves. Not only did I, I was a pharmacy tech, but I would stock all the shelves. I could have easily slipped bottles of drugs, quaaludes, whatever they were, into my pocket and left and no one would have questioned it because they trusted me to do this. But I looked and I said, I'm never going to take a drug. I never smoked weed. I'm never going to take it because it scared the heck out of me. Fine. And it just, it, it goes to show you that if you, if you have made a decision or you have that healthy fear of something, even with the access to it, it wasn't something that you would have even considered. You would have run the other way. And on the flip side, that when people do struggle with the addiction, that they will go to any lengths to find that and to get it. And it's so tough to understand how one person's brain can think when you see things completely differently and and the nature of dis of addiction and the disease is it is uh, it is the devil i mean it's pure evil yes it, it, it does feel like that so even when you use the word terrifying can you explain a little bit about those terrifying moments like what was it to watch someone you love steeped in an addiction and it seems almost implausible from how you described your sister that she would be susceptible to this right and you know it was really something that i don't think my family really knew anything about uh, my parents had come over from great britain and um led i think almost a little bit of a, a, a sheltered life and nowadays and we we know more about these things we've got the internet there's so many more public awareness, you know, campaigns and things back in these days, we didn't have the internet and very little was known. And my, my parents, I think were very trusting, um, which was one of their greatest assets, but in a way that can, can make you be a little bit naive. And I think for my sister, so, so there wasn't the education about things. We weren't warned about some of these things okay. for my sister. I, I believe that there was a deep pain that entered her life that she, for some reason, um, you know, used, started to, I, I, she was looking for an identity. I think ultimately, and I think that is the way with a lot of addictions, we're looking for some type of an identity. Um, and I think that she was looking for an identity. And when she was able to find it 
in being the fun-loving girl who's willing to try things and be the risk taker, one thing led to the other down that type of path. Um, I was that terrified sister. Um, my personality was not risk-taking. I was very cautious um, as opposed to my sister who, you know, was more of a risk taker. My mom used to tell the story that she was the one sitting on top of the piano at the age of three trying to play the piano, I think, with her toes and she fell off and broke her collarbone. Like, that's just the way she was. And she rode a bike two-wheeler at the age of three, you know? Oh. I mean, she walked very early. So so I think part of it is um, the personality. But then when you, when you, when you are desperately seeking to to heal pain and you and you are susceptible and vulnerable and an influence comes along um that you go along with it can quickly snowball and i think for my sister that's what happened and we have to not live in fear and anxiety that that's going to happen to someone we love because then that's a whole other way of living of just living in anxiety and that is right. just defeating and draining and exhausting but yet also being wide open and aware that this can happen to anyone if if they if pain is not addressed and dealt with. I believe that unresolved pain can really um, be what causes someone to be more vulnerable to this. And then for me, just yeah, it was terrifying. I mean, watching someone basically disintegrate in front of you that you just love and cherish so much trying to do things to help and realizing you absolutely have no control of it, control over anything. And, um, you know, just not knowing where the end is and not knowing if there's really any hope and all that goes along with it. It's a, it's a scary thing. I mean, most, most people with addictions do things that they're, former self prior, let's say before addiction, would have never dreamed of doing. Um, and truth gets distorted. And it be it becomes very, very um, emotionally tormenting for family. And yeah, terrifying, not knowing how does this end? I, I, yes. And I just just hearing that when you're you're looking at that, that it is a healing of pain that we want to feel something different than we're feeling before. And I remember in high school, friends would say, oh, well, you'll you'll feel more relaxed. You'll feel you'll feel all these different feelings. And. And this is where I, I don't want to judge because we all are built differently. We all have our little shameful secrets, things that we wish people didn't know, whether, you know, we're, we're hoarders or shoppers, or, you know, we're, we're trying to over-perfect ourselves, whatever those things are. Uh, when you go back to that identity, you know, who are we? And then if we're not what maybe we want to be, or society feels we have to be, then we, we want to find a new identity, something that we can hold on to. And then there's this pain to feel you're not good enough you know, in some way. And once that little lie gets in there, it's just explosive of just- And I think that's what it is. It's that lie of, I am not enough. I am not enough. I am not good enough. And I think that's the lie that gets in there. Mm -hmm. And then I think that it's a self-medication. Um, you know, like you said that you were told, oh, try this. It relaxes you. You know, some people are, are trying to soothe anxiety. 
Um, some people are trying to escape even just temporarily because at the moment that feels better than what they're experiencing. And they're not thinking about how it's going to feel, you know, tomorrow or 10 years down the road, you know, it's just in the moment wanting to escape that pain. So it's very much, I think, a self-medication. And again, as we talked about when we first started talking today, we we all do it in different ways with different addictions. And I've often thought, you know, the question is, well, what's your addiction? We all have it. Let's at least try to be addicted to something healthy, right? And even that can go awry too. Exactly. You know, exactly. People who have exercise, like bulimia or yes. whatever, you know, that we're we're doing things and it's are we wired for addiction? So that's that's a question to say, are we, is there something within our brains that looking for something to be to do habitually, looking for something to do easily, you know, looking for immediacy, you know, if we go back to life coaching, we want to feel safe, we want to secure, we, we want to reserve our energy. And sometimes these addictions can do that. Like rather than addressing, you know, why why do I buy things that I don't even know what's showing up in Amazon, which is bizarre. And I'm going, what the heck did I buy? Like, what did I buy now? And Mm -hmm. it is, you're almost giving yourself, well, it's not that bad. Well, Mm -hmm. it is that bad if you're in credit card debt or you're, you know, you're whittling away savings you had, whatever it might be. But to get back down to it and say, what am I trying to escape? What am I trying to do? And I think there's so much of society that's marketing instant relief. Yes. Like you need to feel better. And even when I I look around at how much alcohol, just for, you know, I, I live in Florida now where I can go across the street to the CVS or to the Publix, which is a food store, and I can buy alcohol. And I'm like, this is crazy. It's so available. When you look on Facebook or Instagram, how many people are showing pictures of their their, their cocktails? Where mm-hmm. before it was like the cigarettes were <laughs> the thing, right? You would see that, yeah. you know, it was cool. Now they banned having cigarettes. They can't even sell them, but it's okay to sell booze 24-7 on TV or any other ad. So there is that society thing, like there's that chemical, that brain thing, how we're built, our desire just to feel safe and feel relaxed or whatever. And then a society thing that's sort of like, it's a really dangerous cocktail. (laughs) Yes, no no pun intended. Yeah, and I I think that, it's our form of buffering. So we're we're trying to put something between the thing that is unpleasant that we don't want to deal with and ourselves. So enter online shopping, enter alcohol, enter, you know, marijuana, enter other forms of addiction. And it's that way, or even over over social media-ing, you know, <laughs> or whatever it is that right. becomes that quick fix, that that dopamine hit, you know, that. I can go and just get something instant gratification or I can just avoid the thing in front of me. And I think that in our society, and I love what you said, I actually just wrote it down that we it's marketing instant relief because I feel like our society doesn't accept the fact that there is going to be pain right? and there's going to be a lot of pain and we need to sit with that pain and it's okay. It's not pleasant, but we need to be able to sit with the pain and we need to be able to notice it 
and even honor it, that this pain is here for a reason. And it's not, doesn't make it fun or easy, but this pain is here to teach me something. What can I, you know, one of the things that I really had to learn through everything I went through was that a lot of it was a, a huge burden, but there's always a blessing in the burden. There's always a blessing. So I've had to train my mind to when, it, when there's a burden, look for the blessing and not in a Pollyanna way, like this doesn't hurt or, oh, everything's fine. There's blessings here. Not at all, because sometimes it's just awful and it hurts and it's okay to, to be upset and to feel that and to express it. But at some point to be able to look and say, you know, what is the blessing here? I think we're able to sit with the pain a little bit more when we feel that pain is never supposed to be there. I think that's when the buffering really begins. And I think that's when the escaping and the, the instant relief, all these substances, whatever they may be, or the addiction of choice may be because we think we're not supposed to feel pain when the truth is we are supposed to feel pain. We are. Well, we're, we're built for pain. There's not an animal, there's not a species on the planet that right. doesn't experience pain. You know, if I step on my, you know, I don't have a dog, but when I did, you know, the dog's foot, it's it's going to yelp. There's going to be that way. Mm -hmm. But I do love how you said that, you know, just to, to learn from it, number one, learn from it. Why is this painful to me? But also there's a blessing in it. Do you have an example, Allison, of something in your life that you could say, you know, you were willing to sit with the pain and you did have a blessing come from it? You know, um, so after I lost my first sister, about 10 years later, I ended up going through a divorce and it was, it was a very, very, very painful um, period in my life. Again, I, I was a church girl. I was never going to be getting divorced. I mean, this was just not an option. I remember when they used to say, oh, look around you, two out of three people, those marriages are going to end. I was like, oh, I wonder which two of those is going to be because it's oh, not going to yes. be me. You know, I, I just it was just wasn't an option. Um, and so when things in my marriage became to the point that it was really, there was no option, but for it to end that way, because it was just unhealthy. And, and I've always made the choice not to really go into details about that, just because I really do um, still respect um, my ex-husband as the father of my children and as the person that he is. Um, so I don't go into details about that, but it was extremely, extremely painful. And, um, and the dynamics in the home had just become where they were, you know, not something that I felt that we could live in a healthy way anymore. And, and I believe that there's always, you know, two, two sides to that. Right. So I'm not trying to place all the blame. I'm just saying it was something that was unlivable anymore. And going through that was one of the toughest things, one of the toughest things I've ever had to do. And, and many people who might be listening to this, who have had to make a similar decision can relate to that. And going through that and having to lay myself bare to the world, especially after everything I had been through with my sisters and was still going through with my, my sister who passed away in 2016, a lot of stuff was still going on with her and just having to expose that this is my home. My home is broken. You know, this is, this is the truth of it. And having to really walk through that into the complete unknown was absolutely terrifying. And I felt like that scared little girl again, the one who was terrified for, for all these years about her sisters. And here I was now terrified 
of what was ahead of me. And yet when I look back now, 10 years later, I see that I am such a stronger and better person now than I would have been or that I was 10 years ago, because in that struggle of having to truly get to a place of authenticity and courage and faith and being willing to trust and step out and do hard things that I didn't know I could do, I kind of got myself back. And I got the faith of my childhood back because over the years, I feel like that I, I, my faith had grown a bit cold. And when I went through this and came out and and really walked walked closer to God then than I had been for a while, and then even more since then, it's it's made me so much stronger and more compassionate towards other people who go through painful situations like that. And so the blessing in that it was a terrible burden and I would never wish it on anyone, especially when you have children involved. I would never wish a broken marriage on anyone. And I wish it could have been different. And I I, I, I absolutely, you know, wish that we could have, have made things work. But when I look at the blessing in that burden, you know, I do feel that that I am able to see things differently now and that I was able to get my myself back. I had sort of, I too had become a shell of a person. And I think I realized that at the time that I had watched my sisters lose themselves and here I was lost. And I didn't want to have to be lost in a different way than my sisters had, right? Because their path was addiction. Mine mine was different, but I, I felt very like I was sleepwalking through life. Honestly, that's how I felt. Like I was just sleepwalking through life and I felt completely insignificant and insecure. And I feel like over time, I've been able to just build my life back to understand my value, my value as a human being, my value in God, my purpose, you know, and to be able to live authentically and be able to, to, you know, share some of that pain with others. Whereas if I had lived a perfect life and everything went wonderfully well in my life, who could relate to that? You know, <laughs> I don't know. people who pretend that their life is perfect. Right. Well, it sounds to me, I'm, I'm, I don't know why this popped into my head because I, I think that I'm starting to see that myself, almost that you get lost in your own lie, whatever that lie is that you Mm -hmm. start losing yourself because you believe that lie and you become less and less of who God created you to be, right? You're not living purposeful. You're not living authentically. Like you're, you're doing something that isn't, like you said, you're, you're a shell of a person. So when you're, you're saying that you feel more authentic, what does that mean? Like if you have the, the before Allison, and then the current Allison, what was the difference? If you could give like a few things, like she was this, now she's that. Yeah. Well, and what's interesting is that I feel like I'm more back to my teenage self, which is my authentic self. And, you know, they say that sometimes, you know, think about who were you when you were 11? What were your hopes and dreams when you yes. were 11? What was the most important thing to you when you were 11? Because a lot of times, as we go through our our teenage years and then our early adulthood years, you know, life happens and we all have a story. And then we have stories within the story. And the older we get, 
we have more stories within the big story. And some of them are very painful because that's what happens in life. Right. So, mm. you know, we, a lot of times the story kind of meanders and it takes some dark twists and turns. And I feel like that kind of happened for me throughout a lot of what was going on with my sisters and then ultimately with my marriage. And I feel like my my authenticity is really going back to my roots of who was I, you know, what, what were the things that really mattered to me most? And it's that faith of my childhood, the things that sustained me as a child, you know, the, you know, really studying God's word and the friendships that were uplifting and prayer and really caring about friends and all the things they were going through and being faithful to pray for them. If I said I was going to pray for them and, and, um, you know, trying to live with integrity where what I was saying matched how I was living. And I feel like, um, there was a period when I was in so much pain with everything with my sisters and, and in my marriage that the authenticity was more just kind of a, being a chameleon, blending into whatever the environment was at the time. And like you, I wasn't the person who was ever going to do risky, dangerous things. Mm. Um, but but just kind of not standing for for anything much, you know, just kind of blending in. And I, and I used to think of myself as a chameleon, you know, I can be the the, the fun party girl over in this fun situation. I can be the church girl over in this situation. And I, because I really didn't know who I was. I was kind of like, well, what do I really believe? And, and to be perfectly honest, when you go through addiction and you see the effects it has, it can make you question God because you say, Lord, where are you? I mean, my parents were wonderful. My mom is still alive. And, and I lived in their home and saw that they were authentic and they were real and their faith was strong. And yet God took away two daughters, you know, and 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 had them go through all these struggles and and really horrible things that happened during those years. And I think that really caused me to question my faith. You know, is God really real? Is he really good if these things are going to happen to people who are, you know, trying to live out their faith? Mm-hmm. And so I think that was the hardest thing for me. And then I think over the past, when you talk about what is authentic to me now, it's, it's really just standing for, for knowing who I am inside my values inside my core beliefs inside my faith inside what really drives me, what my passion is, what my purpose is, and being able to live that out, no matter of the environment I'm in, not, not well, sometimes, you know, and like you brought up life coaching when we're life coaches, it's not because we figured it all out, but we do have some tools that we try to apply to our lives, you know, every bit as much as the people we coach. Um, but at least we have those tools and we're able to reframe things a little more quickly and see some things and remain curious about some thought patterns and some patterns that we're running in our lives. And I think I've been able to do that more. But yeah, for me, it's just standing for my values despite the environment I'm in and not being the chameleon. I think that that says a lot too, because you get back to what you thought was one of your sister's challenges, her identity. So Allison has more or less now reclaimed her identity, reclaimed her identity and who Christ was, but, you know, just your, your faith, but also your identity, because I think there is some truth that there's a certain age that we reach And when I look back, I don't know how old I was, but fifth grade, (laughs) 
was this I I want to be that fifth grade Diane that's about 11 and I just look I can see myself in fifth grade doing things that I was just joyful and I felt really smart and I felt all of these great things and then there was a time I could see from fifth to sixth grade that I was getting very concerned about yeah. what other people thought of me. Yes. And especially these people called boys. Boys. <laughs> yes. Yeah. You know that I I was really I was pulling back because I didn't want, you know, to look like the smart geeky one. I, I didn't right. want to look like I, you know, um one the nun had selected me to read some context. I don't even know what it was playing you know, Mary. And I was like, oh my gosh, I don't want people to think I'm weird. So it was all the, that I never thought about what anyone was thinking. And then all of a sudden it it, it happened. And I I love that. Like go back and like, I'm seeing, I'm yeah. seeing fifth grade Diane and even in her, her blue clack pack glasses, she thought she had to do it. Right? And you didn't care what people thought. I, I think about that sometimes um, that there's a, a time when I was a little girl and I was younger than 11 at that time, but my mom had bought me an ice cream cone. We were at the mall and I was at the mall wearing a little dress and I had my ice cream cone and I was twirling around holding my ice cream cone. And of course the ice cream went flying off. <laughs> and, you know, I was like all upset that I had lost my ice cream cone. But I think about that and I think, I didn't care. I was in the middle of the mall, living life as happy as could be, twirling around because I had my ice cream cone and I was happy as could be, right? Just being me. And then something happens. I think we're authentic. Then life happens and boys happen and all these things happen. And we lose a lot of that and we start to people please. And hopefully we get to a point and maybe that's part of being, you know, in the middle part of life where you start to shed some of that and to say, wait, let me get back to who I am. And I think it's a very good question for people to ask themselves if they're not sure who they are or what they should be doing. What would the 11 year old version of me want to do? What would she say? Yes. What, you know? what, what, what did uh, she love? I, I, I do look at that and I just, I can see myself in the classroom. This is so crazy because I don't have like a lot of sight to look at, but th that's always that year was very bright. Like it was almost like the sun was always shining. It was like I was living in Florida and I was in New Jersey. And then yeah. I don't know what happened, but in between somewhere in between, there was this fear came in, and I don't know what had caused it. And I, I did not well, that I think we well, we try to meet everyone else's expectations. I mean, a lot of it is important. We have to meet right. authorities' expectations in school. Um, you know, our parents' expectations, but we we start to live by all the outer rules and conformity, conforming to those rules. And sometimes we just lose ourselves in the process and we forget that we're designed uniquely to live out our true design a certain way. And I often think of animals, look at all the different designs of animals and the peacocks not trying to be a tiger and the tiger's not trying to be, you know, an ostrich. Like they all are so unique and just living out how they're created to be and, and what they're created to be and the same with us. But we go through a period where we try to conform and be like everyone else and not make waves or maybe not be noticed. You know, we don't maybe want 
sometimes we don't want to be noticed or sometimes we're desperately craving to be noticed. And that leads to different, different actions right. in our lives. But, but, but instead of just being more centered, and I think it is really important for parents to really tap into that with their kids, you know, are we really helping our kids just love who they are for, for, for all of their quirkiness and the ways they are? Because if you don't, then your kids are going to be more, more susceptible to whoever comes along that does help them feel accepted. And it's something that is very tough as a parent to do. It's very tough to accept, you know, the uniqueness of our children when, when we think they should be, or do be a certain way or do certain things, mm. you know? Um, well, I've said that so. from the time that we're boring, someone's trying to make us into their image and likeness yes, <laughs> and not into yeah. what God had created us to be. Because I yeah. look, you know, right away, we're trying to get them on our schedule. You know? <laughs> like, right. Right. You know, yeah. you have to sleep during the night and wake up during the day. And it just, you know, education is trying to conform them because it makes it easier. So we're trying to be made into conformists when we were actually made into this beautiful uniqueness. And you can see where that's the, a constant struggle. And I like when you were saying, you know, feeling, you know, well from the inside out that too often if we're, we don't get that inside feeling really good about ourselves, even when we do have what might be shameful secrets or painful secrets or things that happen to us that are just even too hard to mention, if we're able to bring those into the light, that so much of the, this pain could go away. And if we are willing to be more ex accepting of other people, and I'm not saying, you know, let's accept all people that, you know, if they want to do drugs, it's okay. But accepting who they are as a person and not so much the actions that they're taking because there is pain involved. If this yes. was easy, if addiction was something easy, to overcome or to recover from, we would all be perfect. And we're not, yeah. we all have these things. And I watch people who will say, well, oh, I don't have any of those problems. Well, you do. It's called pride. <laughs> right, right. And if yes. anything that God speaks about that he hates, he hates pride and he will humble us. And when we, and if we could just do that and, and look at people and not, we can just look at them through their struggle and see that in this struggle, God can still work something good from it. As you said, with your own struggle, I've been through the struggle of losing my daughter, of losing, you know, my, my career, losing my husband, uh, you know, just having my own challenges with, with family members, with addictions and such. And each one of them, if we allow it, and I think that that's, if we allow it and, and, choose to say I know something good can come from this there's a comfort that we don't have to fall into another addiction and that's called the addiction of worry and anxiety yes and that is a a dark road to start down it really is and I think that that is what you just said right there it's all about hope because that is so much of 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 what's going on is the loss of hope um, with addiction, you know, and, and if we can, I, one thing that I would say, and, and for people who still are struggling with addiction in their families, one thing that if I could go back, if you, you know, you just, if you could go back and just do something a little bit differently, 
I would just try to focus more on the love, more on the love, because you 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 know that you need to detach with love. And that's a, a, a phrase that you hear um, if you're the family member or loved one of someone with addiction that you need to detach with love. But a lot of times when you're dealing with someone in addiction, you get stuck in all of the all the events going on, all the bad things that are happening, all the stressors, all of those things. And it becomes um, very difficult to just take a step back and just offer love. And I think if I could do anything differently, rather than getting so embroiled in trying to, quote unquote, fix and and help and, and change the situation, I would just daily pour out love and just say, just so you know, I love you. I love you. I love you. I'm here for you. I think that that is one thing that I would take away if I were to talk to people right. who have a child or or a loved one struggling with addiction is just not enable, but just let them know, I love you. I love you. You're beautiful. You're beautiful. You're amazing. I'm here for you. And then let them be on their path and 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 work through their journey and and support them in any way you can. But it really does come down to love. It really does. And I think that, that there's so much truth in that too, is because when we're trying to save them and fix them, we're telling them they're not lovable the way right. they, they are. They're not lovable in the struggle that they're going through. Uh, even though they might've made one choice that wasn't a smart choice or the best mm -hmm. choice, they didn't choose to say, I want this to take over my life and destroy it no. and, you know, hurt my parents, right. my sisters and siblings or whoever else is attached to that. It's just that if we can lead with love, yes, maybe that is the way to change this. Maybe that mm -hmm. is the way to break through from this epidemic that's just crushing our, our nation and crushing mm -hmm. our relationships it's destroying mm -hmm. this central thing that we need so much of and it might sound simplistic but what if it was love was just the answer right and, and i think that we tend to lead with fear we we lead with fear and we react out of fear and and fear for them fear for ourselves fear for everything that it can mean um and if we can just learn to just trust and it doesn't mean that everything's going to work out well in my sister's cases you know they they lost their lives and it's it's tragic and it is tragic and it is sad and i i acknowledge that and i've grieved that um but at the end of the day i was never in control of the outcome all i could control was what i did and i i tried to help but all i can say is I just want to love anyone going through something like this because that's the ultimate gift that I can give them. Well, I think when you're saying that too, another way to look at it is you want to change how you're thinking and what you're believing about them. And when we can do that, it's almost like changing that, that record that keeps on playing in our head and change it into something to say, I love them. And yeah. even to go back and say, well, let me look at them at their 11 year old self. Yes. What was so lovable about them then? You know, let me remember, let me focus on 
that love mm-hmm. and not the love of, of who we think they could be if only right. they would fill in the blank, whatever that blank might be. Yeah. Someone said that to me one time, someone who um, was a recovering alcoholic said, Hey, Allison, I noticed that you're always talking about their potential, about who they are today and who they choose to be today. And I was like, wow. Yeah, that's, that's very piercing. Yes, it was, it was a wake up for me. <laughs> Instead of wishing know? I had a VA saying, I wish I had a different thought. I wish I had a different way of, of looking at this person. And that is, yeah, that that's a great advice because that's, once again, we're, we're trying to shape them into our image and likeness. And we have no idea what the creator planned for them. And I'm not saying no, he yes. planned for anybody to be an addict, but did he, he can work all things to good. There is some good, as you said, that can come out of this. And to say, I just, I'm so excited to see what God is going to do in their life through this. How would that change every conversation, every connection that you have with them? Yes. And give them the freedom to walk their own path, you know, and we might not like it. We might not agree with it. We might want more for them. We might not think that it's healthy, um, but just to allow them to to walk that path, be there for them, be a positive influence and and resource in their life in their lives. Um, but ultimately, just give them the space to and to hold space for them when they need that too. Um, and that is one of the reasons that I'm I'm so passionate about wellness. I think that inside out wellness that you mentioned is if we can truly find a place inside and out, but starting from the inside where we feel centered and whole, you know, that's going to really affect how we live our lives and the choices we're going to make and the ripple effect that's going to have on others. Because everything we do does impact others as your, your sister's choices had impacted you. Well, this was a beautiful conversation. And I believe that you were able to bring some hope just with, you know, leading with love, you know, looking at, looking at them through different sets of eyes and an eyes of love and an eyes of accepting who they are in the moment. And, you know, not always accepting some of the behaviors and choices that they're making. I want to thank you. This was beautiful. Thank you. Thank you for the opportunity. So good to chat with you. (laughs) I know. I love conversations. (laughs) Yes. Thank you so much for pulling into the Hope Station. Wasn't that a great episode? My hope is that this episode brought you hope. Do you want to be a hope giver? I hope so. And how you can do that is to share this podcast, post the episode on social media, write a review or rate the podcast. This helps engagement and boost the podcast out to other listeners in need of hope. So thank you. Thank you for participating. Thank you for helping. Thank you for being a valued listener. And my hope is that you have a great week.